This message comes from NPR sponsor Bank of America. With the Bank of America Cash Rewards Credit Card, you can choose to earn 3% cash back on online shopping. The essentials have never felt more rewarding. Visit bankofamerica.com slash more rewarding to apply now. Copyright 2020 Bank of America Corporation. Right now, every household in the country is being asked to fill out the U.S. Census. It's the form that helps us determine how voting districts are redrawn, where to build public schools and hospitals, how to spend federal money. So why are some people afraid to fill it out? We're getting into all that this week on NPR's Code Switch podcast. It's All Songs Considered. I'm Bob Boylan. I'm home uh, recording this show. I also just had a conversation with Ed O'Brien from Radiohead. And um, he was at home. I was at home. But he's in Wales. and I'm in uh, Washington, D.C. area. There's a new album coming from Radiohead's Ed O'Brien. It's called Earth. And it's the first under the moniker EOB. And that record comes out April 17th. On this edition of All Songs Considered, a conversation with Ed O'Brien and the inspirations behind Earth. It's an album that kind of feels both boldly colorful at one moment and then intimate. Uh, and that reflects the two landscapes, and we talk about this in the conversation, that underlie this record, both Brazil, the colorful side, and Wales, the more intimate and uh, more peaceful side. The album's produced in large part by Flood, uh, who not only is a producer with a long, long history of productions, U2 and PJ Harvey come to mind, but also the producer Flood uh, has a child in the same school that Ed O'Brien and uh, his wife has a child in, uh, and they've become good friends, and that friendship is reflected on on this record. There are other great musicians, including Radiohead's Colin Greenwood, guitarist uh, Adrian Utley from what Head calls the Other Head Band, uh, Portishead, drums from Omar Hakim, Wilco's Glenn Kochi plays uh, drums as well, bassist Nathan East is on the record, singer and guitarist Laura Marling's on the record, and the list goes on, and it's wonderful. On March 23rd, Ed O'Brien posted on social media that he most likely had the coronavirus, but he was expecting a full recovery. Our conversation took place on April 2nd, and uh, I begin that conversation with an update uh, on Ed and his health. Yeah, I thought I was feeling really good. I thought I was over it, to be honest. And it's weird. I feel like, I mean, I, I think I had it for a couple of weeks. And I felt great on Monday and Tuesday. And I just feel tired and I feel like it's sort of still lingering around a bit. So that's just my symptoms. And so I've just kind of been taking it easy again today. I'm definitely over the worst of it. I just think it might, it, it, what, we don't really know much about this virus. And it manif- seems to have symptoms and manifest itself in some different ways. What's it like there? You're in Wales. Is it, uh, is it easy to get a test? Is it? No. I mean, we, you know, we've been here for two weeks nearly, and we haven't been outside of the perimeter of the house and the gardens um, because we're self-isolating. In the UK, it's not easy to get a test at all. I mean, the, the whole thing today is people are starting to get a bit restless because the poor, you know, the people on the front line, the, the NHS, our, our health system and our health workers most of them haven't been tested so there's a real lack it so i i'm definitely not going to be pushing myself forward or turning up to hospital asking for a test there you know there are far more deserving cases so we're very very behind in testing and testing kits well i wish you well and hope you heal completely very soon yeah i think i will do i mean i feel fundamentally that for me it doesn't feel like a deep deep 
worry for, it's not a worry for me it's just you know it's just like a, a really really heavy dose of the flu and um but thank you and i wish you i hope you yeah. stay in good health and thank you I'm trying yeah we're all working from home it's a very different thing i'm sitting for those who don't know it might sound different on the microphone here i'm in my apartment uh, in my little home studio here, so yeah. uh, and kind of enjoying some of it too. Yeah, <laughs> the, the the downtime, private time is is nice to have. Yeah, the origins of your record. Can you talk about how it got started? What were the impetus for it? Yeah, I mean, it's really the story for me starts in I guess 2012. Um, me and my family head out to Brazil. We finish Radiohead finished touring uh, King of Limbs in November. Uh, yeah, November 2012, beginning of November 2012. And five days later, my family and I have flown out to Brazil and are living in a very rural uh, spot on the edge of a farm, sort of halfway between Sao Paulo and Rio. And it's, it's on the edge of this rainforest called the Macha Atlantica. And really, we, our kids are small. They're eight and six. We head out there for an adventure. You know... Brazil and South America have always been very important places for me and my wife. They're places that we really resonate with. They're places that are very different from the UK. They're almost like polar opposites in many ways. You know, when you think of, you, you think of Britain, you think of this small, old island. It's a very old democracy. Our democracy and our political system and legal system is 800 years old. And you think of the British probably as very sort of, you know, just, just kind of on a level, kind of acerbic at times, but quite, <laughs> quite, quite zipped up, as I say, you know, quite uptight sometimes. You know, we're not, we're not as expansive or express ourselves to say as much as our American cousins. Um, and South America is even more flamboyant and more expressive. So we wanted to go to a place that was open-hearted, warm, open-hearted, colourful, vibrant, on the edge. It's definitely, you know, it's a young country uh, in terms of the political system. And it doesn't have kind of the, the health and safety aspects of Britain. And it's just more on the edge. And we wanted to go to a place that, that sort of took us out of our comfort zone. And it was out there that you know, life was distilled to its core constituents for me, which are music, family, and food. And obviously not in that order. It's, it's, it's family, <laughs> <laughs> it's family, mu family, music, and food, or, you know, depending if I'm grumpy yeah, and hungry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I have this time, the kids are no longer little. I was, I've, I've loved being a very hands-on dad. So when I've not been with Radiohead previously before this, I've been really with the kids and the family and my wife and now I've got this time and I've always felt I always felt like there was a kind of a hole if you like and I know that might sound strange because you know Radiohead's a, a wonderful place to come from and to be a part of it's a very sure. creative environment and we've been very fortunate because I think we've we've been as creative as as we can possibly be and people have responded to that and you know we've had a we know we know been successful in that regard so it's a very creative place but in spite of this I realized there was always something missing and I didn't know what that was because you don't know when you've when there's a hole or there's something missing you don't know what it is and the moment I found a way 
to start writing was the moment when that hole was filled. It was the, ah, this is what it is. That's, that's the bit that's missing. The, just the stopping and the being able to gather your thoughts. And... Yeah, and we, there was no Wi-Fi, there's no phone signal. So <laughs> life is really still. Probably, different. You know, not, yeah, very different, not too dissimilar to how life is now. Suddenly, it's, you realize what the important things in life are. The big lesson for me was, was following my gut feeling, was following my intuition. And, you know, you probably know this as a musician yourself and an artist, that follow your intuition, that's your guide. And the moment I really switched on to that was the moment that the music kind of, and the, the inspiration came. First of all came the inspiration being in Brazil, being in this culture, this open-hearted, vibrant, warm, loving culture, going to carnival uh, in Rio, experiencing the Samba Drome and this incredible show that's the two nights of the Samba show in Rio, of, of the Samba Drome rather, and going away going like, whatever it is, whatever music I'm going to do next, I want some of that. Mm-hmm. And some of that's not just the rhythm and that... And the, maybe the trance element that you definitely feel in samba, the repetition and the beats and the kind of, you get into a sort of a trance-like, but also that feeling that I had, and that feeling is one of profound joy, love, mm. light, all these things. And I knew whatever would come next musically, that was the place of inspiration for me. Uh, there's a song on the record uh, called Brazil. Would that be a good one to uh, to play? And Very good. Talk about? Okay. Yeah. This bad dream has got me. I've been noticing, I don't know if this is happening to you, but that all the words I seem to hear in songs seem to take on a meaning of today yeah. uh, in this present day. So how, how much more of this uh, can I take is, is sort of a, a rough uh, words that you're saying to see you smile and laugh again. Takes yeah. on a different meaning than I'm sure of the intent that you wrote it, perhaps. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I was right. I wanted to write from a place of emotional sort of rawness. I wanted one of the places that, you know, that this song, the, the first half of this song and say Deep Days is when I wrote it, I wanted it to come from a place of, well, what if, you know, we've all had moments in our life and as a lot of us are going through now when we're stripped away of all the kind of, 
not the superfluous stuff of life, but life is reduced because it gets really hard to a rawness. And what are those things that matter? And what are the things that matter? And that's the place that I, I kept on trying to come back to because I felt that was, I don't know why, but that felt like an important place to be. I was interested in, you know, when people are faced by a crisis or maybe a partner's dying or you, you're facing death, what are the things that resonate? And for me, the things that resonate were your love, your relationships, your relationship with, with your family, with your friends, your relationship with this planet. That's a place where, so what you just heard was, it's kind of eerie in a way because it's not too unsimilar what was going through my head or what I was feeling about what's going now. You know, what are the things that matter in a crisis? And that's a point of view I was, on some of the songs I was coming from. Talk about the, uh, the sound of the record. This particular song, uh, if I start to bring it in here, goes from that beautiful, very personal uh, sound to uh, a, a much bigger sound, which the record has a lot mm. of bigness to it, and, and as well as the intimate. Let me play a little more of the same song, Brazil, a little yeah. later on. You can tell me who's doing what. <laughs> with um, producer uh, Mark Ellis, Flood, as yeah. he's known. Uh, how did he help shape the sound of this record, and what were you both after? He, when I, when I dreamt this record up, and when you're in the inspiration phase, you can sort of hear the potential of this record. And I knew that I wanted to make a record that was sonically really rich and expansive at parts. I want it to have, you know, an uh, epic's too grand a word and it's used in the wrong connotations, but I wanted to have a sense of, of scale. So there would be the intimate moments, but there's the expansive moments and sounds that were warm and sounds that, you know, really resonated the, 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 the kind of the, the joy and the the earthiness of life, if you like. And I knew that I had to work with some, because that, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm lucky. I come from a place, Radiohead's a place where sonics are very important. Yeah. But I needed, to, I knew I needed to work with a producer who could do that. And it was, you know, that was just in the bag for them. And I was very lucky because Flood's a dad at school our kids go to the same school. We became friends. Our wives became friends. And he, I didn't, I, I played him the demos and within four songs he said, do you want me to do this with you? That was, I, I, like, once I knew I had Flood, 
I knew we could do the record because we had a very, we, we'd established our friendship. We had a very similar feeling about music. Like, I'm a big fan of a lot of the records that he's made. Can you tell folks who don't know Flood some of the things that you've loved of his? Okay, so obviously he worked with Depeche Mode. He did Violator, Songs of Faith and Devotion. He worked with U2. He started, he engineered the Joshua Tree. He co-produced Actung Baby, uh, Zuropa, and he's gone on to work on various U2 records since then. He's worked on almost all Polly Harvey's, uh, PJ Harvey's songs. He did, with Alan Mulder, he co-produced Smashing Pumpkins, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. He back in the, I mean, like he's engineered so many records. He worked at Trident Studios, which is a very famous studio in London. And he was, he, he graduated to being the chief engineer there. So you can say like, you'd be talking about a Cure record or a, a Japan record, he goes, Oh yeah, I was assistant engineer on that <laughs> Japan record. Wow. And so, you know, no, and, yeah, and yeah. I'm almost as kind of blown away by the amount of the engineering stuff that he's done. Like, you know, Happy Mondays, Vince Clark from Erasure and Depeche Mode fame asked him to be the engineer when he remixed the Happy Mondays, wrote WFL, wrote for luck. So Flood's an incredible, he, he's got the craft he, and he's done all kinds of records. He starts at the beginning of the 80s. He sees the transition to digital. He takes a bit of everything. So I, I was keen to utilize a lot of those sounds from the late 80s. We had a you know, bit of kit called um, an Akai MPC-60, a drum machine, which you know early hip-hop pioneers, that was an essential piece of kit. One of the engineers, Cecil, brought that in and was like, we've got to use this. It's such a great sounding. Flood goes, yeah, I think you'll find it best operate if you do MIDI channel, blah, blah. He's got, you know, he's got all this knowledge. I love that. Yeah, it's amazing. So I knew I could relax on the, on the sonic front completely. You know, whoever we get in musically and get to work on this record has to be at the same level as Flood, you know. There's a, a little five-minute video, if no one's seen it, of the making of this record. And there's a moment in that, in that video where I don't remember who it is who's speaking, but says... Yeah, you know, that uh, first part of the song works really well in this room, but the other room or the room next door or yeah. something like that will work great for the, for, the next, uh, for the next part of the song. I don't know who was speaking or what song they were mentioning. It was but Brazil. Loved, oh, it was Brazil. So, so the first intimate part of the song is in what maybe is a, more of a living room, and then you move. Yeah. In, and you see everybody lifting and moving all the gear and shifting uh, yeah. from one room to the other. I wonder about the... the well, you're about to say something I can I well that was Nathan East the legendary Nathan East the great bass player and Nathan uh -huh. okay he's also a record producer so we had I mean we had this all this incredible talent and and Nathan's a singer musician bass player you know extraordinaire and songwriter you know so that was him making that suggestion so yeah it was what I love about and that whole era and working with somebody like Flood are there are no rules you know, we set up in a house to record. And where was we, this house? Was, was this in, it's in, in Wales, again. Okay. It's just down the road from where I am. And it, uh, again, it felt important to come back to this place, to this part of the country, which has been, you know, there were, there were two places for me that inspired the record. One was Brazil and the other one was Wales. And so, for instance, that track Brazil, you've just heard the first part, the rolling arpeggio acoustic guitar, sort of slightly folk motif, 
is very, very, very Wales. That came out in Wales, that, and that feels like it's of this place. And then the kind of the more colourful, slightly psychedelic, that's the South American, that's the Brazilian thing. And for instance, a track like Banksters on the record, that's a 7-8 rhythm, and the chords are very much, they're very, very Brazilian. We pulled them out a little bit, the chords on Banksters a bit, but in terms of the 7-8 and all the rhythm, that was, yeah, there you go. That's the basis of it. Let's hear a little. talk about some of the people who were playing on well the album and particularly the song yeah so on the album i was my I, at the beginning of the records i had a house band which comprised of david akumu who's a wonderful guitarist singer producer based in south london um and my rhythm section were omar hakim on drums and nathan east on bass who are fellow Americans, probably some of the, yeah, without doubt, the fi- some of the finest musicians I've ever had the pleasure to play with, and anyone will ever have the pleasure mm. to play with. I mean, it was, it was like a dream come true playing with all of them. And they entered into the spirit of it. You know, they flew over, came to Wales, immersed themselves in it for three weeks, completely out of their comfort zone. And I, I hope that they had a really rich experience. We were sort of feeling our way at first, trying to be a band. And um, we, uh, we, you know, Olympic, the track Olympic, which is the eighth song on the album, that is testament to where we got to. And that's basically a live take. It's a, just over eight minutes and a live take. And it's just the most extraordinary drumming, bass playing, and David's and my, you know, the guitar, the way we've, we've, we've formed as a band. But it was just a treat, a joy to play with these people. I mean, they're amazing. And I also duetted on a, on a track called Cloak of the Night with Laura Marling, who you probably know of is an extraordinary talent and someone I'm a huge fan of. She came and joined us for an afternoon when we were back in London. And I was also fortunate, one of my old friends from... One of my fav- our favourite bands, Portishead, Adrian Nutley's a guitarist, and he's an old mate. And, you know, Radiohead and Portishead of, we're like the two heads. They were down the road about, <laughs> about 90 miles. <laughs> yeah. For Radiohead, we always, when that whole Britpop thing was happening, we weren't really a part of it. Our, the people that we aligned ourselves with and we really liked were Massive Attack and Portishead. They were West Country. We, we weren't as West, but we were still West. They were like 60, 70 miles away. And we felt very closely aligned with them. So Adrian came and, 
you know, we had a lovely evening where he came and joined us, played some killer guitar, and we which song talked about. So he played uh, some guitar on Shangri-La towards the end, and he plays on Sail On, and he's a wonderful guitarist. How about if I play a little bit of uh, Shangri-La? Uh, let me see if I can find it. You tell me. I'm going to start to sneak this in. You tell me where he is. Oh, he's coming up. You hear this kind of like... And his guitar takes over in a sec. That one guitar that's coming in takes over. So he kind of his guitar comes out of it. It's this. I call it like I call it like the Alex Lifeson guitar because I don't know why it reminds me a bit of Alex Lifeson from Rush. It's that kind of <laughs> kind of thing. So we're going to take a quick break. Come right back. Uh, continue our conversation with Ed O'Brien. And you're listening to All Songs Considered from NPR Music. This message comes from NPR sponsor BetterHelp, the online counseling service dedicated to connecting you with a licensed counselor to help you overcome whatever stands in the way of your happiness. Fill out a questionnaire and get matched with a professional tailored to your needs. And if you aren't satisfied with your counselor, you can request a new one at any time free of charge. Visit BetterHelp.com songs to get 10% off your first month. Get the help you deserve with BetterHelp. Support also comes from Little Passports, offering activity kits to keep kids engaged and expand their minds. Hands-on activities and games invite kids to explore the world and unpack the mysteries of science. They'll travel to countries like France, Brazil, and Egypt and build scientific wonders like a volcano, a submarine, and a solar-powered car, all from their kitchen table. More at littlepassports.com. I'm Bob Boylan. It's All Songs Considered from NPR Music. I'm having a conversation with Ed O'Brien. You may know him from Radiohead. He's got a new record called Earth, and we're talking about that record right now. There's a, a, a moment again in that video that struck me, which is you're sitting with a legal pad on a, on a, a, a chair, uh, pen in hand, and the camera sort of comes around you, and you, you can tell you're struggling sitting there right yeah. there, and you say, bloody lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> well, I fe- it was funny because, you know, you got, you, 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 everybody's waiting for a lyric or something before you can really sort of get the song going. So I had some of them formed, but some of them I was kind of waiting for them to kind of form in the studio. And I, we just needed just like some kind of framework to hang the music off. It was all new to me. So, yeah, I had a bit of a sweat on that day. <laughs> <laughs> How does it uh, work for you working alone versus working in a, I mean, you cherish this amazing group of people on this moment in, yeah. in your life, but what do people bring out of you that might not come out, in particular this group of people, versus being alone? Oh, I mean, it's, it's completely, completely different because my role in Radiohead is essentially a supportive role. You know, musically, I'm supporting the song. I'm supporting 
you know, Tom's lyrics or Tom's song. I'm supporting the greater thing that is Radiohead. And, you know, that's been my default setting for years. That's all I've known. So the big thing for me was, it's, an, it's so different. It's like, I had to get, and it took me a while to realize this, was, what do I feel? Because I, and it, I know it sounds stupid, but I realized I was the only one who knew when the song was right. Even with Flood, and Flood would always say this, he would say, you've got to take control of this because only I could realize the potential or what the sound in my head. And I, that took me a while to realize it. And, and also it's not my natural instinct to, come, to go in and go like, you know, this isn't right, that's not right. I like an environment whereby it's a team. I love a collective. What I had to find is that collective but me saying, no, that's not right, or yes, that's great, or I think we should do it like this. So I had to learn how to steer the collective. So not just a participant, but a, someone, yeah, a, guide, to, to, a guide. Yeah, I've got, to, I've got to be the guide. I've got to, I've got to step up and be the leader. Uh, I want to play what I thought was the most intriguing sounding, well, a lot of intriguing sounding songs on this record, but can I play Olympic? And uh, Yeah, you, please. You talk a, a bit about it. What do we got going on here? Well, this is one of Flood's plugins. He's, he said, I, I need to get a beginning here. So he, he just went to his computer and built this. And now we're into the band. We've got, we've got a loop going on. My loop that I wrote this to. Guitar, bam, bam, bam. The stabs the guitar, bam, bam. And you've got tambourine, you've got Omar on on guitar, on drums rather, over the top. I'm actually playing bass in the verses of this part. Low, low vocal. Guitar that sounds like a Rhodes coming in. playing all the guitars and now Nathan back on bass Juno I'm playing the Juno 60 keyboard yeah keyboard vocals and the whole feel this is what I want this is this is my existential funk number <laughs> I had this for me music is very visual and this chorus is like it's me it's like in orbit around the earth, flying around, looking down. Do you know that wonderful scene in The Big Lebowski when he gets really high and that Bob Dylan song comes on, he's flying over <laughs> LA? I always have loved that scene because for me, one of the things I love when music really resonates, I can fly, I feel like I'm flying. And so that chorus is, is flying over the earth, the orbit, and then the verses, now we're back down on, we're back down on terra firma. I love that image. Catherine Marks and Alan Mulder are other people along with Flood that are yeah. helping produce. Catherine, I think, is a co-producer on this song. What did she, yeah. uh, what was her participation here? She brought a very, I mean, she's an amazing engineer as well. She's been trained up by Flood and Alan. She's come from their studio. So Flood and Alan Mulder have a studio. And I wanted this team that had, they'd recorded um, 
and made a one of my favorite albums by Foles called Holy Fire. And I wanted, they were the trinity, there's Alan and Flood and Catherine. And Catherine, Catherine was key because she brought in, she's a counterbalance to Flood. You know, Flood's, Flood's quite eccentric. He's got, he can be, so, he can be like the mad professor at times. And, so, and what, she, what she was so good at doing was being the counterbalance to that. And also she was, so the other thing is, she's very important, when we're recording live, Flood sits in the live room with the, with the musicians and she's the ears in the control room. So the two are constantly, he's going like, she's saying, it sounds, I need to get some more on the, on the toms or I need to get something. And he'd say, oh, it's sounding good, all right. So they, they're like this kind of, and with Cecil, the engineer, um, they, they, were, they were like this, this, this organism sort of going around and they were between takes, so just adjusting things minutely or maybe putting on another mic until they hit the sweet spot. And she's amazing. She's amazing. And she's, I wanted it because she's also, she's very contemporary. You know, she's got, she does a lot of new bands. She does a lot of, she's got her, she's got her ear to the ground. And I felt that was important. I'm gonna play a little more here because it's too good to pull down. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think I'd like to go out on the final cut. You mentioned it earlier, the cut with Laura Marling, a song called Cloak mm. of the Night. Want to tell me a little about that before we, uh, before we depart? The working title was Celtic Love Song. When I first came to this part of Wales and started writing, I had a copy of Walt Whitman's Leaves of Grass. And I was really influenced by that extraordinary piece of literature. You know, you know it well because it's, it's part of your canon of great American literature. But what I loved about it was that he sort of looked upon all aspects of life and saw the divinity in everything and the, the beauty, even in the, you know, because obviously there are parts of it that are really harsh and I was really inspired by that. So I wanted a, it's again a feeling, a feeling that I got from that I was trying to put into this song that was kind of, I thought of a, of a small little stone dwelling with, you know, a fire and it's cold and it's wet and there's a storm outside and there's just two of you. And there's, you know, you're clinging on to one another, you're in the middle of a storm and it's a tender and intimate moment and it's very earthy, it's very... Yeah, it's very, it's very intimate. I, it's a feeling. I mean, it's kind of hopefully you get the idea in the lyric. And the lyric is, um, also seems prophetic in many ways, or at least, again, the interpretation of songs and mm. the beauty of, of the malleability of songs is that they mm. feel that they fit the moment, the lyric. I don't, don't have it in front of me. You and I all night long, you, you and I in the storm holding on, and I think, again, it's, it's interesting. I, I was very aware of, and I, I, I've said, we've all had this at times in our life, that 
those moments when you're in a crisis and lyrics resonate and they are like you said the malleability they're suddenly like you hear a song or and you go oh my god that's exactly how I'm feeling and that's one of the beauties of music isn't it totally is and that that song is uh, sticking with me uh, these days and thank you for this oh my pleasure Bob Ed O'Brien the new record is called Earth it comes out on the 17th of April on Capitol Records I'm Bob Boylan for NPR Music. It's all songs considered. This message comes from NPR sponsor Toyota. Say you're a chef on the hunt for the most singular, rarest of rare ingredients. Now say you've got a Toyota Venza with standard all-wheel drive, hybrid powertrain, and available head-up display. Sounds like the search is over. Introducing the Toyota Venza. Toyota, let's go places.